Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Eden Brook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining our conversation today with my friend Jordan Childs. Jordan is one of these friends that I've never actually even met in person, but because of technology, I'm able to work with people and talk with people all across the world that I would never have dreamt of 15, 20 years ago. So Jordan is one of these guys that I get the great privilege of working with, even though we've never actually met in person. And we have a really cool story of how we met. So you'll have to listen to our interview to find out why, but I'm excited for you to find that out and for you to hear his story because he's such an amazing drummer and piano player and all around musician. He's got to work on TV shows, on commercials and all kinds of stuff. So sit back. Get your pen and pad, get ready to take lots of notes. Hey, everybody. I'm hanging out and talking with my friend Jordan Childs in LA, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking time I'm out of your day to talk with me and um, kind of catch up a little bit and share with my audience who you are and all of the incredible things that you get to do in music. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. I love uh, having conversations, so I'm, I'm excited to do it on the record. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So you're in LA and I'm in Nashville and people think, how are you talking to him doing this? And uh, technology is a wonderful thing. So I love getting to do this in this manner because it, it's just like you're here in the studio with me and um, it's not some horrible phone connection kind of a thing, but um, there's this program called Zencaster that allows us to do this and it makes it feel like you're actually here with me in person, which is really nice. So anyway, that's just kind of a side thing. I just, uh, just think that's a cool thing that we get to do that with technology nowadays, but you and I actually, we've worked on two or three songs together Mm -hmm. with you being in LA and me in Nashville, but we have never actually met in person. That's right. Which is always kind of a weird and crazy thing. But, uh, just again, another thing with, you know, just technology nowadays of what we get to do. And just to kind of give my audience a quick background of how we know each other to begin with. So 20 years ago, I went to college with a guy named Scotty Baylor and we were in a band together called hand to the plow. And, um, once, you know, of course we graduated and moved on our separate ways and he went out to LA at some point and, I found out a couple of years ago that he was making movies. He was directing movies and, and he wrote, he did the short film um, mm-hmm. a couple of years back and I, he posted something about it on Facebook and I looked it up and was checking it out and saw that Jordan Childs was the composer on that. And I was like, dude, I went to school with Scotty and then I'm doing music for TV and film and this guy is doing his stuff. So I'm going to reach out and, and connect with this guy, Jordan and see who he is and find out what you do and, 
you know, so I, I gave you a call and, um, you know, just told you who I was and how we had that connection with Scotty. And, you know, the next thing I know, you and I are working on music together. So yeah. how cool is that? That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. Yeah. Um, so real quick, just to, if you could give us a quick background on who you are mm-hmm. and how you got into music, and then we'll j- just kind of jump quickly into what you're doing over the past few years that have allowed you to do music full time. Sure. Um, so my name is Jordan Childs, of course, as you already said, and um, I'm from Kingston, New York, which is a small city about 90 miles north of Manhattan. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's a not necessarily, it's, you know, the area that I'm from is pretty artistic in nature. Like there's a lot of, um, I mean, the nature, the like the physical natural like environment is pretty inspiring just being up that way and mm-hmm. um but it's it's uh it's also like a, a pretty eclectic artistic community i would say and but it's not necessarily a scene like for musicians or anything like that like i didn't grow up in in, in you know going to jams or that kind of thing too much but i did grow up playing in church and so that was a huge part of my musical upbringing i um my parents, my mom and some of my extended family say that I was kicking in in rhythm in, in the womb. <laughs> yeah. Like and I wish they had smartphones back then. Um because right. they probably would have been able to document it. But um but yeah, so I they kind of knew I was gonna be a musician. My pa- both my parents are musicians and um they had a, a group in the nineties, a gospel group. And so I grew up going there to rehearsals all the time and just being in rehearsals all day and um, I just was inundated with music from a very young age and uh, just took a liking to playing drums at a very young age as well. And I got my first drum kit when I think I was like maybe uh, around two years old or something like that. So mm-hmm. I've been uh, playing. I, I feel like drums for me is I've been probably playing drums as long as I've been communicating the English language, probably. Yeah. So um, so it's one of those things for me that's just second nature in a, in a lot of senses. Um and then, yeah, so I grew up and then our, our church drummer moved away when I was around nine years old. So I uh, became the main drummer around that time, and which is almost like playing in a gigging band every week. And the stuff, at nine years old. At nine wow. years old, yeah. So that was kind of where I was thrown to the wolves in, in a sense because they I was expected to perform at a pretty high level. And, and, uh, and I, yeah, the service environment the type of music we were playing in gospel music is pretty, I mean, it's relatively demanding. I think there's a lot of people who come out of that tradition that go on to do a lot of big tours and play in a lot of other genres that kind of surpass or, or um, extend beyond gospel music. So, um, so yeah, I think it's just, I'm really grateful for that heritage and being brought up in that. And I remember the stress of being nine and having to play, uh, you know, they'd have this, this thing if you grew up in a gospel church you know about shout music and i remember i used to just shudder with terror every time <laughs> they they would go into that because it's it's kind of a higher tempo high energy kind of thing and i'm nine trying to just trying not to drag the beat like <laughs> just because yeah. of the physical demands of the instrument at nine years old i was just i was trying to figure it out so but um i'm so grateful for that and so uh, i kind of came up playing then and then when I was around 11, my uncle introduced me to like jazz fusion and um, mm-hmm. and that changed my entire life. He saw something in me in some level of aptitude and capability for more. So he started um, feeding me Chikoria and Herbie and everybody else. And, and uh, you know, I remember getting my first Dennis Chambers 
videotape, which inspired me. I was like, man, I didn't know if you could do that with drums. And then, um, and then Omar Hakim and all these other people. So anyway, at around 11, I started to really um, expand my vocabulary as far as music goes in, in the jazz realm. My dad was more so into like a lot of um, soft rock, yacht rock kind of stuff. And he's very into like R&B and like Earth, Wind & Fire, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as the jazz fusion realm and stuff, I started expanding in that around 11. And then once I got to middle school, high school, I started doing jazz ensemble and all that. Um, and then that was that was kind of a cool training ground for me to be able to play in a bigger ensemble setting and understand how to set up the band and help my reading and stuff. And then from there, I decided to to uh, go into biology, which was <laughs> wow. because I wanted to get a, a real, quote unquote, real job for a right. while. So I did a semester of that. I mean, I'm smart enough to do it, but I just it's tough for me when I'm not passionate about something to uh, to invest what's needed <laughs> to, right. to be successful. So I did about a semester of that, and I was like, you know what, this is uh, this is drums are for me. me. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just music in general. So I just yeah. I, at that point I was playing keys too, and um, kind of gigging and all around New York and church, the church circuit and different things. So now, think, did you take did you take lessons when you were a kid doing drums and and keys and things like that, or was it all sort of self taught? Um, I started, I would say I started self-taught. And then once my parents saw the interest, they tried to get all of their children in, in uh, lessons to some extent. So I actually, I remember taking lessons, drum lessons at the mall to learn to read when I was probably around that 11, 12 age, because I everybody said, you know, this kid can play, but we want to make sure he can read too, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I took lessons maybe for a few months just to kind of learn the, the basics of reading. And I did play in school, like concert band, that kind of stuff too. Um, but being able to contextualize reading to the drum set was uh, was a, the biggest reason I took lessons. I took one lesson. My cousin is also a drummer. My, I have a very, very musical family. So I remember taking one lesson with him where he was kind of helping me with some stuff. But I mean, I think I was largely self-taught, um, which I think, I mean, my philosophy <laughs> is that I think obviously the work you got to do on your own. And I think at a certain point, the discovery, um, if you're an intuitive or a um, inquisitive person, I should rather, um, you do a lot, you can learn a lot on your own, especially in this day and age. So I I, I would say that lion's share of a lot of things I learned, were, you know, came from self-taught kind of thing. And then I did take some keyboard lessons as well, um, but I wasn't interested in it when I was real young, when I first started. And then uh, when I was in high school, I think I re- I re-engaged with the instrument and I they just had an ear for it. So my parents kind of uh, set me up with this guy who's an organist in our church circuit. And he also had a good theory background. So he really gave me a, a really cool uh, foundation. His name is Solomon Pfeiffer. He was a really good teacher. Awesome. So it was, uh, yeah, that, that really helped send me in the right direction. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important for people to know they're listening, you know, you were self-taught for a lot of the stuff you did, but you, you found value in taking lessons and learning like theory and yeah. just different genres and techniques and things like that. And mm-hmm. I think that's important for people to know, you know, there's, there's value, value in both. Definitely. Oh yeah. I'm a guitar teacher. And so when a lot of students come to me, they were self-taught and, but they, they learned things incorrectly mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so they have to unlearn what they've learned and then have to be retaught 
a, a more correct approach to it that yeah. I have to turn around and teach them, you know? Sure. And yeah. um, so, and that transition can be hard sometimes. So I think if you can combine, like you said, combine those things, you know, the passion for going out and exploring on your own and learning how to do certain things, but then maybe getting the details more correctly, you know, by doing lessons and mm-hmm. uh, kind of going that that route is good for everybody on some degree. Oh yeah. I think it, it is, it's, it is essential. And I think it can, I, I love the private lesson. Like I'm a huge advocate for that. I tell people all the time, you should just go take lessons so somebody can really drill down on your playing and, and help you have like a, a very tailored, tailored approach to your growth. And, um, and I think for me too, um, when I say, I don't know, I think, I, I, I guess I am self-taught to a certain extent, but I think also the musical learnings and education comes in a lot of different ways. So when I'm nine years old and I'm playing in church and I'm playing and I have to execute this music, the people who were there and older than me were also some of my music educators at the time. They were helping mm-hmm. me to to learn different things. And and so, yeah, I was I was picking up a lot from a lot of different people and including the, the private lesson kind of thing. Um, it, it all served together. And then for me, I'm just a, just a natural learner. Like I've always just been really interested, curious and getting into details and reading. And, you know, I'm very, I consider myself pretty studious. So, uh, so yeah. all along I was kind of doing that. And then, um, after I did the, the biology for a semester, I said, I'm going to audition for Berkeley because I got it. I've always wanted, it was something in my head during high school. And I remember having a conversation with my dad he was like, there's no way you're going to music school. You need to get a real job. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah. And I understood where he was coming from. He wanted, he always wanted what was best for me. But then once I did that semester, um, and then I went back to my dad, I said, dad, I really want to at least try. And he was like, yeah, I think you should, you know? And so, uh, I, the deal I made to myself was I'm not going to go unless I get some scholarship money because I don't want to put a huge burden on my family. Um, but and so I went and auditioned. And audition was awesome and end up getting a scholarship and I went to Berkeley. So that I again, that's another example to me of of investing um, time and in, in, in money and in resources in learning the right things, because Berkeley was awesome for that and in a lot of different ways. But um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with where you're coming from with that for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, after Berkeley, is that when you, you moved out to LA? I actually came home for a couple of years, uh, back to Kingston, New York. And then okay. I was helping my dad. He was the pastor of a church at the time. And, um, and I, it was, it was a cool time because I was music directing at his church, which, okay. um, unknowingly, or maybe knowingly to some extent, but I don't think I could have anticipated how valuable that experience would be as far as dealing with people, uh, um, preparing tracks. Like I've been doing tracks for live for the live setting since I was probably 16, 17 years old, you know, because I was, we were, we would use tracks at church and I would at the time, like I had a little studio set up at home. So I would literally, I'd be playing all these instruments in and we'd be fattening up our live sound with, with, uh, you know, with Logic and eventually Ableton and all this other stuff. So, um, so anyway, after after college, I went home and kind of was helping him out and um and and kind of running that at church, which was awesome. And then, um, and then I just I felt the the call to go to L.A. because I was like, man, I, I really want to do this on the highest level, and I don't want to be limited by my geographical location. And um, so I said, if I'm gonna move away, I want to do it big, and I want to like try to go for the home run in a sense. And I knew that. As far as my career goals go, the LA was the probably going to be the best place for me to 
be able to tackle all the things that I want to do. And um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of when I made that decision. I think I was home for maybe two or three years. Um, I moved to L.A. when I was 25 and I'm 29 now. So, yeah, I've been here four years. And so when you when you finally made the move to L.A., how did you initially get plugged in uh, to be able to work in music? Yeah. Um, so the first thing, uh, actually it's, uh, I was actually really able to almost immediately apply the music directing things that I was practicing at my dad's church. I, um, ended up getting a job at a church called discovery church here in the greater LA area. It's, in, it's actually in Simi Valley. It was the first place we went. My brother and I moved to LA together actually. And my brother, mm-hmm is an inspiring television writer. He's kind of making his way up the ranks for that now. Um, And he's doing real well out here as well. So we moved here together both to kind of pursue the dream. And, um, but the first place we went before we even went to our apartment, we went to this church because my, my brother was insistent on us finding a church like before we even had a place to live. (laughs) Um, so, so we got here, we went and kind of knocked on the door, if you will, at the church and just got a tour and started meeting some people. And I remember the first few people we met, like they're to this day, like they're our LA family, like they're mm. people who have really held us down. But to answer your question, I uh, kind of immediately almost started talking to the executive pastor there. And then he got to know my brother and me, and he uh, really wanted to hire one of us. And my brother was kind of doing some other things. So they ended up hiring me to do uh, a staff role as well as music direct, which wasn't staff at the time. Um, and then, um, and so, yeah, that was like kind of my first, that was what kind of allowed me to stay here because it was like, okay, here's going to be my paycheck. And um, and it, it was cool too, because the way it was structured, it allowed me to still do outside projects and to develop the other things. So um, that yeah. was one thing. And then outside of that, the connection to the Berkeley network has just been like, just incredible. I've had, I have a lot at, I feel like everybody, when they graduate from, from Berkeley, they either move to Nashville, Atlanta, New York, New York's probably the biggest one outside of LA, but so many of us come to LA. So my best friend from college was already here and he was like, he was the one that was like kind of leaning on me to just, Hey man, you just got to get here because the opportunities are just incredible and you'll do well. So he would call me every month when I was in Kingston he was like, Hey, when are you coming? When are you moving? You know? So, mm-hmm. um, when I got here, he was, a, he was big. And then, um, there's a drummer named Gordon Campbell, who is a, he's a longtime family friend and he's like kind of a mentor to me. And he's been here in LA for 25, 30 years or something. So he was, a um, he's been also really, really instrumental for me, plugging me into, um, just certain things. He helped me get my first like kind of traveling gig when I, um, that I just was doing this year actually. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been like kind of, uh, the network of, of that has been huge. And then just being, not being afraid to step out and meet people and be, or be on the scene, which is something to be completely honest, I'm not as good at right now, <laughs> but yeah. partly because I'm busy and I'm already working, but I feel like that's an essential part to, um, because it's all relationships, so it's it's an essential it's an essential part. Just being around where you can um, meet new people and people get to see your face and know who you are, and then start to associate your talent with your face, and you know it kind of uh, you know there's a natural building that happens around that. I think so. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, what were some of the projects? So, you first moved to town. You pretty much immediately got the job at that church. Then it sounds like you, you yeah, went there before you even went to the uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> you went there before you got an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, within a very short time, you're getting a job that allows you to be creative for mm-hmm. one and working, you know, in the, in your faith and what you believe. And then it's allowing you to have a paycheck, which yeah. is great. You know, it's kind of holding down the fort so you can pay your, pay your bills uh, and then still to get to work on other projects. So while you're doing that job with the church and then you've got, you know, family friends and your college friends and things like that, that are helping you network and get to know other people in LA, what were some of the jobs that you were getting to do pretty much right off the bat musically in LA? Yeah. Um, so I remember within the first year, like the first gig I think I did when I got here within the first month or so, um, I played at another church and then, um, but like, as far as outside of church, um, I did a wedding actually, um, when I first got here, cause I was doing a lot before I moved to LA, I was doing a lot of the wedding circuit, which was actually kind of how I was able to fund the move. Um, because there's not like a huge, uh, industry for music where I'm from in New York. Uh, the biggest opportunity for me was to um, I, I got involved with this this big wedding corporation kind of thing that they mm-hmm. they staff bands on. There's a there's a, a segment of it called Lucky Devils that's out here in L.A., but um, they have one in New York called Silver Arrow. So I did a lot of those gigs before I moved, and I I do those on keys and drums. So um, that's how I save money. So when I got here, I got connected with one of my another one of my Berkeley friends hit me up to sub for him. And through that gig, I actually ended up meeting some people who are pretty close to me now. Um, but that was like one of my first gigs when I got here. And then from there, uh, I was doing um, I remember I did a gig with this girl named Chanel, who we went to Japan together. And that was a keyboard gig. Um, and so it was it was just uh, it was, it was re- really interesting, the confluence of events. I actually, um, within probably a year and a half of being here, another one of my Berkeley friends, I met, actually met him. He, we both went to Berkeley, but we went at different times and we met randomly in front of a bowling alley. And, um, <laughs> and that meeting changed my life <laughs> because he, uh, you know, we, we just hit it off. We, we spoke about music and our careers and our goals and then about two weeks later, this was actually right after, as I was leaving um, staff at the church, I still work as a music director at the same church um, contracted, but I was on staff also doing like another staff role there. And I, I was just transitioning out of that job when I met this, my friend that I'm speaking of now um, outside the bowling alley. And uh, long story short, we, we hit it off then. And then two weeks later, I happened to see him post something in um, this Berkeley LA um, Facebook group that a bunch of us are um, subscribed to. And so I went to the audition and um, he was like, oh man, thanks. Oh man, we just met. Oh, good to see you, all that. Um, long story short, man, he was music directing this gig and it ended up being a retainer situation that I was on for like a year and a half or something like that. So that was like a cool um, just a random network thing that, man, had I not been there and we mm-hmm. actually showed up late to that, <laughs> the, it was like a, cause there's a, um, there's a bowling alley called the lucky strike out here. I think that might be a chain or something, but, um, they do a lot of live shows. So it was, a, it was actually around the Nam time, time frame. And, um, and I met him and, and yeah, so that led to like kind of a, another piece of sustenance for a long time for me, as far as being on retainer with an artist. Um, this was like a, a British artist that we we're on um, retainer with. So that was another gig. Um, so yeah. Real quick, um, just for our listeners, explain what a retainer gig means. Yeah. Um, so basically retainer 
gig is when they you agree on a certain amount that you're going to get on a regular basis. Usually it's probably, it's usually monthly or so for most of the ones I know of anyway, but um, they basically pay you a certain amount to have, I guess they can be structured differently, but the way my retainer was set up is that they have exclusivity in my schedule. So, or um, I should say priority in my schedule. So if there's anything else I have going on, they pay me a certain amount each month to kind of keep my availability open for them. So um, if they call me and I'm doing something else, then I need to drop everything I'm doing and go do whatever they need me to do. Um, Sure. So, but it's cool because it's um, another, like there's very few things I feel like in our industry that are like consistent paychecks. So the church thing is one and being on retainer is like another one where it's like, okay, I know that no matter what, I'm going to have X number of dollars coming in per month. Um, yeah. And it's it's kind of a it's a really cool situation. And in my case, we did absolutely zero gigs <laughs> during the time of my uh, retainer. So I was on retainer for a year and a half, a year and change, something like that. And um, we did some rehearsals, but just f- for whatever reason, it didn't work out for us to do gigs. So they were literally paying me to sit to do everything, like to do <laughs> everything else I was doing anyway. Wow. So, um, so yeah, it, uh, it's it's one of those huge blessings, and I feel like you know, God really looked out on that one. And that was kind of a payment for some years of doing a lot of work for nothing, probably. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, that's kind of how that works out. But it it can be different retainers. Also, I've heard some of my friends that are on retainer, they're not allowed to do other work while they're on retainer. Like it can be that kind of thing where, where they, your retainer requires exclusivity. So you're not, um, either you can only do work in town, you're not allowed to travel. Like there's, there's different stipulations. It's, it's ultimately an agreement that, um, you know, is tailored to whatever the specific situation, but that's kind of the, the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's very interesting that you got to do that and not have to actually play any shows. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So after you, you were doing that, where did you go beyond after you said that lasted about a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. still doing, because of the nature of that, like I said, we weren't, um, we didn't uh, work during, for that retainer necessarily so much. We did a couple of studio sessions and rehearsals. So I had a lot of free time. I think that was when I, during that time I went to Japan with that artist Chanel and we did a small tour over there. And then I was doing a lot of stuff around town. And then um, also small production projects, like the thing with Scotty, um, he is uh Scott Baylor, who had this uh, short film called How to Be Lonely and Depressed, which I think is going to be on, if it's not already online, it might be online somewhere now, but, um, or soon I should say. But, um, so I did that little short film and I was doing some other small projects production wise. And so I was trying to build both sides of that at the same time, because I've always known that I wanted to do both. So, yeah. Yeah. How did you meet Scotty? I actually met him through that church discovery. He was playing bass there uh, at the time. And uh, so, yeah, he he happened to be talking about doing a short film. And somebody, I think, told him that I was trying to do more production and uh, composing and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. someone mentioned it to him. He reached out. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was at a place where I was just like, man, I need to get my foot in the door and start doing work. So it was, it was kind of a cool um, confluence of, of need for sure. So... When you're working on that project with Scotty, um, I mean, you're talking about you're scoring his short film, mm-hmm. you know, so we're not talking about playing live drums or music directing for somebody else, but you were, you know, you're on the composing side and production side now. Sure. Had you always worked 
on composing and or how did you learn that aspect of the business? Yeah, so I've been composing, honestly, um, trying to think, honestly, really since I started really paying attention to music for real. So I can remember creating some things. I still have files actually on my computer. I was listening probably a year ago. Like I just did a deep dive on my own like quote unquote catalog. And I was finding stuff from when I was like 15, 16, just composing things. So it's always been somewhat of a part of of uh, just my musical expression, I would say. And yeah. um, I I remember when I auditioned for Berkeley, I actually composed a piece in which I played all the instruments on the piece, and then I played drums live to the piece. So like I I I mean, it's it's interesting when I look back. Like I've been composing for a long time and producing mm -hmm. and um, creating. And it's interestingly enough, it's only until it's only been until probably the past couple weeks. I've actually made like a paradigm shift to where I'm really seeing myself as an artist, <laughs> which is, it's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. But like, okay. but yeah, like I, I've been composing for, to answer your question, it's, it's been a part of, um, of my expression for a long time. And even at Berkeley, I didn't get a performance degree, even though I, I was very, I knew I'd always be playing and I was always um, practicing and stuff at Berkeley, but my degree mm -hmm. was actually in like composition and um, oh, okay. production and stuff like that. Cause I knew okay. I wanted to round out my skill set and have the ability to, uh, to, uh, to be marketable in that way. So, yeah. yeah, you were prepared when you went out to LA to be able to do that, to do <laughs> composing and producing and things like that. Yeah. To a certain, I feel grateful for that in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. So you worked on Scotty's project and, um, I just love, I, I just laugh. It just makes, makes me smile that you know, somebody that I was in a band with in college, <laughs> you know, <laughs> 20 years ago is somebody that you are good friends with now and you, yeah. you are working with in that capacity. And that's just such a cool, a cool thing. It's such a small world, man. Yeah. It's you know? pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so nowadays, um, I see you all over Facebook and social media and you're, there's a show that people will know called America's Got Talent, which is a live talent competition, kind of like American Idol and The Voice, but there's all different. It's not just singing or playing an instrument. It's all different types of things. So, but I, I found out that you are actually playing either drums or keys for different contestants on that show. Yep. Yep. Now that's a cool thing. So you're getting to, you're getting to perform on live TV yeah. all the time now. And how did that, um, how did that opportunity come about for you? Yeah. Um, so that one came about, actually, it's funny because when I got the gig, you know, I got the call for it. I, I didn't know for a good six months how it came about. <laughs> I was like, I don't, it just was random. I got an email one day and they were like, hey, would you like to be on America's Got Talent as a band? I was like, is this real? <laughs> so this is from the show itself, the production uh, company? Yeah. One of the um, this, the people who staffed the band, like he, they just reached out and said, hey, we, we found out about you. And they didn't even tell me how they found out about me. Um, but they were like, can you send a headshot? We, uh, we'd love to see if you'd be a good fit. So I was like, wow, I don't, I didn't know. So I just went with it and it turned out to be legit. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is great. And then, um, <laughs> as I started posting about it on Facebook, one of my friends reached out and was like, Hey, oh, I'm so glad they hit you up. He was like, yeah, I told them about you. So, and the, that friend was somebody I met randomly at a party for my dad's friend's 70th birthday party. <laughs> like oh it was just goodness. random wow. but the guy who was there he happened to also be another berkeley grad so we 
hit it off. He's actually, I think he's the music director for the Jonas Brothers right now. Um, okay. The guy who I met. Yeah. Which, again, this is LA. Like, it's just so, like, <laughs> of random. <course> LA <laughs> is just the most random city in the world. So, is that's kind of how that happened. He, we met and we, we had a really good conversation. He actually has a cool podcast too. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, we met, we talked and he just happened to think of me. I don't even, it was just, man, a lot of stuff like that happens, which again, speaks to the power of just being out and like meeting people and um, being open to have conversations. And like, you just, you never know like who you're talking to and you never know what the, what a conversation can lead to. And every opportunity that I've gotten since I've been in LA has just been through a good connection with somebody or even a connection that didn't seem that significant at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it, every single thing comes through that uh those relationships that i've been able to been so fortunate to build and um and yeah so that that's that's kind of how i hope that answers that question a little bit but yeah yeah just so, put my name in for it randomly yeah so let's let's just go a little bit deeper in the process of getting to work for on america's got talent so what is your actual title or role there and yeah what does that look like when you're doing it what's the process of being in that position uh during you know, when you, as you're preparing for the show itself and then during mm-hmm. during the show? Well, I don't I think there's aspects of this I can't really talk about. Okay. But um, what I will say is that it is usually I would say I think it's about I think it takes about it's, it's about two full work days. So um, you come in one day, you do your camera blocking and like a light rehearsal. The tunes are usually really simple um, and they usually send you MP3s of stuff. And then, um, so you go and you do kind of a, a, a run through where we go over the song a, a bunch of times and they make sure everything is um, in place and everything is sounding good and everybody looks good and you do your wardrobe and all that. And then there's the day of where you do another wa- run through and um, and you're usually there. The first day you're, you're there for a few hours and then the second day is usually almost an all day thing, maybe like a 10 to 7 or throughout the, through the live show. Um, but yeah, it's it's um the schedule that we have because honestly, because it's not a music based show, they only call you for certain acts, and you're only going to be supporting um, select acts as as it right. as needed, you know. So, um, so the schedule is not like The Voice or like American Idol, where those people are, you know, it's a, those are music based shows, so the the demands are definitely a lot higher. Um, but yeah. for this, it's more, um, as as needed. And also like, you know, part of the industry thing is like, it's, it's really a lot based on optics. So, so yeah, they, they put together certain bands and it's, it's kind of, it's not like necessarily a, a seat. That's why you will see me on there on different instruments. There's a, um, almost an aesthetic aspect of it that matters to television on a level, especially on that type of a show where it's not a music based show. There's, there's an aesthetic aspect that matters as much as the musical aspect, if not more in, in some senses. So, um, so yeah, that, I think it's, it's interesting. This has been an interesting kind of foray into the television live TV kind of thing for me, a kind of learning experience, but yeah, it's been interesting. Very, definitely very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it is interesting and it's cool. You know, there somebody that's listening right now that's thinking, you know, I would love to work, um, on one of, one of these types of shows as a musician, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to think, well, how do I get my foot in the door to do that? Well, you 
got the opportunity to have somebody actually reach out to you because of a connection that you made randomly at a birthday party, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. okay. So it's kind of hard to, I guess it's kind of hard to give advice maybe on how to actually make those, you know, doors open up when somebody's mm-hmm. reaching out to you other than to say, again, you've built a relationship and you've networked sure. with people and get to know people. So I, I would maybe back it up and ask the question this way it would be, how important is it when you are networking and you're not networking for the sake of networking necessarily, you're just mm-hmm. randomly meeting these people yeah. and finding out later on, Oh, we went, we went to Berkeley, you know, mm-hmm. together, or we both went to the same school at least. Um, and just kind of kicked off a relationship and a friendship. And then it turned into, Oh, by the way, I've got this thing going on. I need someone to do this. Would you be interested? You know, that's kind of the way yeah. it worked out for you, right? Mm-hmm. And that's you know, how so, pretty much everything I've done works out. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So based off of that, how important is it when you are building relationships with people? You know, like what would you say, you know, this is kind of a, a kind of a weird way to ask the question just because, you know, I always tell people don't, don't build a relationship for the hopes of getting something else out of it later on. Right. That yeah. makes sense. Totally. You know, don't go into that because people are going to see that. They know when that's coming, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to, they're going to push you away real fast. But for the sake of argument, you know, if you're just getting to know somebody, like how do you tell somebody to build a friendship with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, knowing the back of your mind, well, this is LA or this is New York or Nashville yeah. or whatever. This person probably knows someone down the road, you know. Yeah. Does that make sense? The question. Sure. Yeah, I think to ask? so. I think so. I think um, for me, this is huge. I think I'm actually working on my first book right now, and it's nice. really about re- the relational aspect of everything. And I okay. think a, a huge thing to realize is like is that networking as a skill is there's value to it, um, and and. It reminds me. I'm I'm rereading. I've read this book before, but I'm reading rereading um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yep. And so when I think of networking, I think of that um, as Stephen Covey kind of um, the principle that he kind of lays out is there's a primary greatness and there's secondary greatness. So secondary greatness is akin to things like that. He um, uh, one one of the examples he uses is personality ethic versus character ethic. So personality ethic is the ability to be persuasive and to to be eloquent in your speech and to be charismatic. But character ethic is who you are and the mm-hmm. the breadth of investment that you've made into the things that are your virtues, your values, and and your congruence to those things. And so. The way, reason I bring that up is because when I think about networking, to me, that seems more like a secondary greatness type of thing. Like it's right. a type of thing where it's like I'm learning the I'm learning how to speak to people or how to you how to give my quote unquote business card or how to market myself or to position myself. And I'm not saying there's no value to that. There's definitely value to that for sure. But I think the thing to me and in my experience has been more impactful and has led to a better reputation and um, and it, and I think is continuing to further my career is I really want to build genuine relationship through genuine um, interest in what other people are doing, you know, right. um, yep. and, and trying to figure out what can I do to serve you at the time of meeting you. A good way to serve you is to just listen and to not be so self-interested that I can't be, that I can't 
insert myself into your story, into your life, and to be able to learn more about what's going on with you. And I think right. the thing that is so important is like, man, when you're building a relationship, it, it really, man, it, it it's funny because so many things relate back to my faith, but it's the whole idea of just putting others before yourself, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, it's stepping in and not being so self-interested and, and serving, like having that mentality when you step into a quote unquote networking situation really sets you apart. And then people, it, it, most people anyway, you know, as you lean in and you you show genuine interest in their lives and their careers, they'll usually turn the question back. Well, what do you do? You know, what are you into? What do you, what's mm-hmm. going on with you? And then it gives you an opportunity to kind of let people know what you're about or what you got going on. Um, and then if something that you say in some, at some point aligns with something that might help serve them or, or a project, then there'll be more um, apt to call you, especially if you're a person that didn't push, you weren't all pushy about it, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so Absolutely. I feel like that's the, that's been my approach is just like, man, how do I show up and be present and interest, genuinely interested? I, I love people. So I just like, I, you know, I wish I was interviewing you right now, <laughs> honestly, like, <laughs> I just like, I really want to know more about you and your life and your, you know, your career and how you've done things. I'm, I'm honored to be here and talking about my life, but I know my life. I'm way more interested yeah. in talking about, you know, and finding well, about. Start a cre- podcast yeah. and then invite me on. And, <laughs> and I want to, and I'm going to. That's why I'm so like, I'm so happy to be doing this because it's like <laughs> me and my brother have been talking about it forever, but we just got to prioritize it at some point and get it, get it rolling. But, uh, well, but anyway. Whenever, whenever you do, just uh, my door abs- is open. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. I can't wait to to have you on. That'll be cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. And I absolutely agree. My wife says that my superpower is relationships. Mm, that's, that's a good um, superpower to have, man. Wow. Yeah. And I love that. You know, it's like as much as I am everything music related and I love all of that stuff. If I can connect people, I know somebody that is looking for something or needing something specifically that I mm-hmm. personally can't, mm-hmm. may not be good at or as good at, but I've got, I know someone over here that is phenomenal at this. And if I can connect those two people together and watch something explode and be, be amazing. Yeah. You know, like that brings me joy yeah, so to be able to do that. that. Yeah, yeah a lot awesome. of satisfaction in that. And I love getting to do that. I get to do that quite a bit, you know, so I've been blessed to be able to be in, in those positions where I can connect people in those ways. Yeah. And, uh, and I enjoy doing that. So that's amazing. I feel like that was one of my, one of the things I talked about with me and my brother, we always talk about just our aspirations and often like times people come to LA like, oh man, I want to be able to get gigs and I want to be able to tour and but one of my aspirations when I got here was like, man, I want to be able to be the one that puts other people onto gigs, like mm-hmm. sets other people up with opportunities. Like yeah. I know I'm going to be taken care of if I continue to uh, be true to my own values and be the person um, that I know that God wants me to be. I know that it's going to lead to my own personal success, but I'm so, and I, and already even with the church and with other opportunities, I've been able to help people who deserve opportunities, get them. And that's, in some senses is even more rewarding <laughs> than getting the opportunity myself. Like I, there's, yeah. there's a special satisfaction to me that sure, comes out yeah. of that, you know, um, I agree. almost it's, it's better to give than receive kind of thing, you know, yep. the kind of basic tenant yep. type of thing. So, and yeah. then, and then the opportunities where those things work out for everybody involved, you mm-hmm. know, and then you do get to be, a, maybe you get to be a part of it in some way that you didn't expect, Yeah, you know, and then you get to participate in the success, you know, with those people you know, yeah. that you've got to help set, set something up for them, but then you get to be an actual part of it as well. Then that's a win, 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 mm-hmm. you know? So, so that's really cool. Um, 
what would you say people, what kind of advice would you give? Well, let, let me think about this first. Let me back up for a second. Mm-hmm. So you're a drummer mm-hmm. and you play keys and you sing, correct? We didn't talk about it, but I think you sing. Uh, right? No, I'm a vocoder. Uh, yeah. Online person. I don't even, yeah, I'm not, I don't really sing. I vocode and I play, <laughs> but I do play bass and a little guitar and right. keys yeah, and You play a lot of different stuff. instruments mm-hmm. and, um, and you write, you've done some commercials and different TV projects, right? Right now I'm writing for a library out of Canada. Like they're uh, called a uh, premium beat and Shutterstock kind of, uh, they're Shutterstock, which is like a big stock photo company right they they have like a music division now that they bought out for like 50 million a couple of years ago or something so so yeah now I'm, I'm writing for them and and that's kind of getting rolling which is like a part of my another part of my income like you were saying we we a lot of us as musicians we have to get it from different ways you know we get mm-hmm. our we piece together our income in a sense you know like it's, it's there's different streams with different ways to make money within the business so that's one thing i'm into right now um, which has been really a cool thing for me because it's just keeping me writing rapidly and mm-hmm. creating without too much thought <laughs> um right which is also opening up my composition um in other ways and other areas that's not necessarily for the library and um so it's it's just this is a cool season for me i'm i was on the road uh so like this year, I feel like is is a year. It's it's kind of a tale of two. Um, it, it's it's a it's the perfect example of what you were talking about earlier. Because the first half of the year, I was doing a whole bunch of dates with this um, legendary artist named Booker T. Jones, who like Booker T. and the MGs. We were he um, has the big song called Green Onion, which is like in every movie. <laughs> I was watching right. him. I think I was watching Dolomite the other day, and that song came out. I was like, oh man. So, um, but yeah. So the half the year, I was on the road with him a lot. And then the second half of the year, I've just been home producing and like writing and and just developing that part part of my my um, career more, which is honestly the future. I feel like more so. I want to I want to have things kind of more centered around that, so I can be more selective with um, my travel dates and playing out dates. I can kind of have. I'm hoping to be able to center things more around that and um, something like a Shutterstock, um, like a licensing kind of thing that I'm doing with this company is definitely I, I can see how that could be part of allowing me to to have more auto- autonomy you know as a producer yeah and a composer than having to go out on the road you know so and what's the name of the company the licensing company in canada you're, you're writing for it's called premium beat and they're a subsidiary of shutterstock so yeah. i think if you did shutterstock music or premium Beat, i think you'd find it either way probably but yeah so yeah, i have some stuff on there right now it's yeah, so cool. for our listeners, explain what that library is like. Like, what do you do? How do you become a member to write for them? And what kind of music are you writing for them specifically? Sure. Um, so that was another opportunity that came through another relationship randomly through a Berkeley connection. And um, and again, if you didn't go to Berkeley, this is not the point. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> the point is like, I honestly like it's been being in LA and just being around uh, being around people who are also working because right. the fact of the matter is nobody can do everything, you know? So there's going to be, this happens to me all the time where it's like, you know what? I have something else going on. So I need to pass this opportunity to someone who's worthy of it. And if you come to mind because you, you know, because you just met this person and you gave them a good vibe, then they're way more likely to call you because they know about you, because they just saw you. They know 
Um, they might have heard you play or they might have been exposed to some of your music. And then it becomes a no brainer. It becomes a kind of a utility. Like I got to call somebody and you're you can do it. So I'm going to call, you know, so it doesn't have any. I mean, the Berkeley thing is definitely really cool. But the point here is that, you know, it comes through just being available to people anyway. So going back to the li- the licensing thing, um, I got the like kind of tried out for them and then I send in some tracks and they're like, oh, cool, you can do this. So um, basically I write probably two and a half minute to three minute kind of cues that mostly they sell, they mostly sell their music to a lot of advertisers. So this, like the music you might hear in a YouTube video, um, they, every month they send out a a newsletter. And so this month they had, um, they had one of the songs in their library that was in like a Samsung commercial in like Germany or something. And then, uh, uh, maybe a like there was one really cool one where they were putting the music to like they just opened like a skyscraper somewhere or something like that they just finished it and then the music from our library was part of the soundtrack to like this huge light show they did or something you know so yeah the the the, the placing the placements for the music are really diverse so they actually have a, a pretty diverse catalog of music i find myself doing a lot of either hip-hop or like pop stuff for them um, and I, a lot of times will reference the stuff that's in like Apple commercials or Samsung commercials or, or sometimes I'll just literally listen to commercial. Like I'll just turn the TV on and, and find a reference of something that's just on a commercial because if it made it to that, then it's probably pretty marketable if it made it all the way to TV. So to answer your question, I'm writing kind of a little bit of a range of stuff right now. Um, but it, most of it leans to a more pop or urban hip hop, um, kind of bent i would say which is another cool aspect of what i like to do and compose in but um but yeah it's, it's a cool opportunity it, the, the way this one is set up is that they pay you per track that they accept from you and then you get to keep your writer's share of the uh of your of your um, back end so uh, so they pay yeah. you up front like a, an upfront fee mm-hmm. they pay me up if they if i send them a track and they're like yeah we like this we'd like to put this in a the library then i go through the process of like the delivery which is like preparing stems and mm-hmm. um track names bpm like there's like a, a process to putting it in the library um yeah. and it's pretty specific as far as like formats and um the sample rate all this stuff like they have a, a standard for their stuff of course mm-hmm. but um once everything is in yeah they pay me up front per track and then um but i and then i also get to keep my writer's share of things so that right. when they and sell they keep it, the it's publishing playing, and they pe- keep the publishing for yeah. this so yeah, is it so. it's an exclusive uh, an exclusive deal per song this one is yes this yeah. one so the stuff i write is is stuff that's only for them right. when i for this yeah this yeah. particular so, library but some of them aren't like that i know yeah it's for, so for listeners there's exclusive libraries there's non-exclusive libraries most music quote unquote music libraries that we write for are exclusive which means that only they can pitch the songs you mm-hmm. can't have three or four to five different uh, agencies pitching the songs for you. It, it's Correct. exclusive to that one particular library, and then they can pitch it. They can pitch it out to different shows and networks and different things like that. But it's only mm-hmm. them that can actually do it on your behalf. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's cool that they that they pay you an upfront fee because a lot of them don't do that. A lot of them it's mm-hmm. just a back end writing thing. That's all you get on the on the music library side of things. So I see. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. <laughs> I've a lot of my friends have said the same thing. So I'm like, man, this is trying to take advantage of it so i've i've kind of centered around trying to make that um, especially because i'm trying to move more 
trying to figure out more ways in which I can center my career around production. Mm -hmm. This has been like a kind of a cool step into the door of that because the money is good enough where it's like, oh man, I could stay home. And if I did this every month, I could kind of live off of this (laughs) even, you know, so, um, and then that doesn't even count the right, what could happen as far as passive income once it's out there. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like I said, at the beginning of, of this, you and I have actually written a little bit for, um, some opportunities like this because yeah. I, you know, I write for a couple of different libraries as well. And then I also have sync licensing agents that I write for that are pitching, you know, actual songs to, to different shows and films and whatever. How um, does that side of things work? like with the agent thing. I, I know you're interviewing me, but I do want to, oh, no, <laughs> you're to fine. ask that question. Sure. Yeah. So it's kind of two sides of the same coin is the way I try to describe it. So like the music library side of things like you and I do for that, Mm-hmm. So you're doing for premium B. I write for a company called Scorekeepers and one called Mibe, and I've worked with one called Amazing Tracks, uh, Amazing Music Tracks, I think. So what they do is like we said, it's exclusive. So you write a song or you know a minute and a half, two two and a half minute, usually instrumental track for the most part because this is like all underscore bad right. music underneath dialogue kind of stuff on different mm-hmm. shows, reality shows, and sports networks and things like that. Correct. Um, yep. So they pay you, like you said, they pay you for, you get to keep the writing uh, royalties for the performances and that kind of thing. And then you're getting paid on the back end royalties. So they do, most of the time you don't get paid up front, like, but you're getting that, thankfully. That's nice. Um, but most of them don't do that. And that's just kind of the normal way it goes. Mm-hmm. So then the other side of the coin is the sync licensing side of things. So that's mm-hmm. where you're actually creating like a song that you would hear on the radio Right. But that is being pitched. You're getting those signed to a sync licensing agent who Mm. will send those songs out to music supervisors for TV shows or for, or for movies. I see. So that was the missing piece for me. Cause I know about sync licensing. I have a friend that's a, a, um, who's a music super right right now here in LA, but went to school with her, but I didn't know about the agent side of the thing. Like that there's a, somebody, there's a go between that can help do that. Yeah. Yeah, So yeah, if you can now, if you can bypass a sync licensing agent and go straight to a music supervisor, mm-hmm. that's great. Obviously you, you that. save some percentage, I'm guessing. Well, there's, there's that, but if you can build that relationship and that that's not to say the sync, li- don't go with the sync licensing agent. Obviously, yes, do that because most of the time, most music supervisors want you to go through a sync licensing agency. Oh, really? Does it because, make it easier for them? Well, it does because they trust the, the licensing agent. They've got okay. a relationship with those people and they can reach out to them and the, cause it's the licensing agents have a catalog of music from the writers that are writing for them. So I've got four mm-hmm. or five different licensing agents that I write for that are pitching my, my music for me. And they're for the most part, they're non-exclusive. So I can okay. have the same song signed to four or five different agencies. I see. And I they're see. all pitching yeah. on my behalf, the same song. Okay. Um, or, or, or other songs or whatever, I but see. the music supervisor will reach out to them because they have a relationship with them. Like we've been talking about, they trust them and the licensing agents can vet us as writers and artists, performers and producers and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they think our music is good enough to be pitched, they'll sign the song. And then when a music supervisor says, Hey, I'm looking for an Americana song for this tv show do you have anything well they can pull up their their folders or catalog whatever and say oh yeah john martin keith has got this americana song you know we're better together and send it to them if they like the song and it fits boom then they 
they will license the song to put it in their show. I see. And then, but then you get a sync, you get it paid a sync license up front, kind of like what you're getting, but usually it's a much larger amount on the mm-hmm. sync licensing side of things. I you see. know, for a TV show, it's usually like somewhere between three and $5,000 uh, for a song to be licensed for a TV show. Um, and it can go higher than that, but that's kind of think around the average nowadays. Okay. And then when it gets into to movies or commercials, commercials are the, really the big, the big thing. But if you can get, you know, a big placement in a movie or a commercial, it can be anywhere from, you know, 10,000 up to two or $300,000. You know, mm, that's on the, that's yeah. on the upfront sync licensing fee. And then you're still mm-hmm. getting paid back in royalties for your writing and, you know, and, and publishing and things like that. Yeah. Cause they typically will only, they don't typically take on the sync licensing side of things that you get to keep your writing and your publishing. They just usually take the, a portion of the sync fee as their percentage for their payment. Okay. That's, this is the, um, the, that's the sync licensing about. agent. We'll do that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now if you can go straight to a music supervisor, you, you can probably cut that out, but that depends. You know, most people can't do that. Some people mm-hmm. are able to do it, but again, it comes back to building relationships. I've built relationships yeah. with, with a few supervisors that I can go straight to, uh, and pitch them stuff. That doesn't mean they're going to use it, but I can at least have that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. But even then I still, you know, and, and even then they may say, you know what, even if you can pitch it to me directly, I know mm-hmm. so-and-so here. And if you're connected with them, let's go through that, that, that avenue to get mm-hmm. it all the paperwork and those ty- types of things taken together. Cause they yeah. want to make sure all that stuff is done correctly. So nobody gets in trouble, you know, legally and um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the nutshell version of how mm-hmm. that works. Totally. If that, yeah. if that makes sense. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But you and I, like I said, you know, you and I've written some stuff and with a couple of other artists and, those things that we're writing for, we just got to get those, get those things sort of finished up. And then I've got, I've got licensing agents waiting for those songs. That's good to know. To, to sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> let's get some songs finished. Let's do it. And, yeah, uh, totally. but that yeah. allows them to start pitching, you know, the songs to supervisors that are in need of those songs for their projects that they're working on. Makes and, sense. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how, how those two things work, you know, uh, kind of some of the differences in them and, yeah, there you go. That's so awesome. That's for yeah. our audience. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's for me too. I appreciate it. Yeah. Because I haven't done that side of things yet. So it's cool to see that that's how that works. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, and even on the music, the music library side of things, there's like with Scorekeepers and Mibe that I, that I write for, they're a little different than I think from what even what you're talking about with Premium Beat. Because there are certain ones so with Mibe and Scorekeepers and those types, you know, like I said, they're exclusive, but I can turn you know, they'll, they'll send out a brief saying, Hey, we're looking for this kind of music for mm-hmm. a t- this type of a show. Uh, I'll turn it in and then they'll, they'll sign it. They'll put it in their catalog and then they start pitching. And usually they write, they're writing me or the writers that they're working with saying, we need this, a quick turnaround on this because the production company is looking for this music and they're in post-production. They're needing this music in the next week. I or, see. or less and they're waiting for it. So there's a pretty good chance it's going to get placed, but they're doing mm. the pitching for you. So I whereas where I I'm guessing what premium beat it, what it sounds like, because it's with this like Shutterstock, you know, you can go on like Shutterstock with just the photos. You can go on, anybody can go on their website. Mm-hmm. You can, you can license, pay to license that and use that picture or that song and anybody can do it and put it in their videos mm-hmm. on online on YouTube or on a commercial or whatever, mm-hmm. where it's an individual kind of setup as opposed to 
the the music library staff is pitching the songs on your behalf. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So there's yes, sort of two different sense. worlds just in the music library side of things, and then there's mm-hmm. a sync license. So there's kind of three sort of three areas of how that works. Sure. One other question I have for you is yeah. where where have you found the most traction in in your career? Like what what side of the uh, as far as those three aspects of this part of the industry goes? Where what have you found has been the most successful or the easiest to navigate or is your favorite? Like, how would you, what would you describe? Well, the one I've had the most success with is the music library side of things where mm, I work okay. writing for MIBE and scorekeepers because I'm, I've written a ton of those things and they're real short. Mm-hmm. When you're writing instrumental music, it's a lot faster than trying to write a song and it's come up with lyrics and melodies and yeah. vocals and all that kind of stuff. And they're only, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes long. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's real quick and easy to come up with those things. Now that musically I've, I've really been stretched doing those things because there's all the different kinds of stuff that I've written for them that I would have never, ever thought of doing in my own career personally. Right. Yeah. So, which mm-hmm. has been really cool. And because of that, and since there are multiple shows that use the same types of music, they can pitch those songs to three or four different shows or networks mm-hmm. and use the exact same song in, in, you know, discovery channel and then history channel and then CBS and whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've had the most success there because I've done mm-hmm. it the, the longest there. I see. I haven't I see. really done any of the music library stuff where um, like the Shutterstock idea, that kind of thing there. I can't think of the names of them at the moment, but um, the ones where an individual can go on and license your song and you just kind of have like your, your catalog on there on their platform. Okay. And then somebody can go on and license it. I just haven't, I haven't had a chance. I need to, and I want to do that because I know I've got people that I know that actually make a really good living doing it. Yeah, um, yeah. I just haven't had a chance to do it yet. The, well, we should talk when you have a, uh, if you ever have uh, some margin to, to start exploring it, we should definitely talk. Sure. Because <laughs> I have a rep that can, uh, might be able to connect you with. <laughs> l- l- listen up, audience. This is how you connect with people. You're building relationships. <laughs> that gives opportunities. There you go, right? There just having is. a conversation. Hey, <laughs> well, let's do this. Okay, let's do mm-hmm. it. Um, the sync licensing thing, I've been, that's what I'm really pushing and working at really hard um, yeah. at doing and getting into and starting to get some success with that. Um, that's my, my goal and my passion is to get those things off the ground and I've, you know, leeway has been, is being made and I'm writing and producing for other artists and bringing them in on projects. And, you know, like I said, I've got like four or five different licensing agencies that are, that are signing tons of the songs and pitching them on our behalf. But Mm. that kind of stuff, just in general, it takes longer to get those things placed. I see. It's just, there's just a whole different uh, realm of things going on behind the scenes that make those things fall into place. And Mm. it's just a lot harder and takes a lot longer to do it. Question for you. Cause I was, I was doing, I forget the name of it, but I was doing something that is similar to um, the, the one version of the licensing that you were talking about that you've been doing as far as the short, the short, kind of instrumental things yeah. that you've you say you've had the most success in. I was doing one of those a couple of years ago and I think it was something I had to pay to be a part of or something, but I yeah. did get one song placed on like a random reality show or something like that. Yeah. Which netted me like ten dollars. <laughs> but right. um but anyway, my question was gonna be like for you, has it been um the the companies that you just that you were talking about that you're that you write for is that something, how did you get involved with those? Like what was, what was the process for you? Yeah. For that? So again, relationships really mm-hmm. to get my foot in the door. So I was writing with a friend of mine. He was signed to 
um, a licensing agent mm-hmm. and I've known him for years. And so he let me start writing with him and that got my foot in the door to start writing for the young and the restless on CBS. Mm. Yeah. And so I started getting some music on that uh, with him. And then there was another, uh, the music, a music library that was scorekeepers that he was writing with them as well. And, um, we had gotten some stuff together into their catalog. And so since when you've got somebody that's already writing for a company mm-hmm. and you do a co-write together, well, that you have to sign a, an agreement, a contract saying that, you know, even though I'm not a part of that company writing for them, it's because they're going to license the song or put it into their catalog to be mm-hmm. licensed. Now I've right. got to sign a contract saying that they can do that, but that, that gets me into their system. Sure. You know? So yeah. then I'm able to uh, start writing for them individually, mm. you know, and, and then that sort of opened the door to do that. And then, um, and the same thing with, with, uh, with my, another friend of mine that I was writing with on some TV stuff, we got connected, um, through an online course of learning how to write for sync specifically, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been writing for the company my up in New York. And we, again, we did some stuff together. He got us in the, got me in the system with him. And that allowed me to be able to connect with those people directly and start writing stuff on my own. So again, it's relationships getting into that. Now that doesn't have to be the case for some of those. You can go online, look up, you know, music libraries and just Google that. And then you'll find all different ones. And then they'll give you submission process. Any, pretty much anybody can submit music to those things. And they, you know, as um, an example, you know, say, okay, this is what I do. If my music fits your stuff. And then if you like it, then they'll reach out to you and say, Hey, we like this, you know, uh, we're interested in working with you and we'll sign a contract and then you start writing music for us. And, you know, it's not hard. It's really not hard to get into those things. I just happen to though with scorekeepers and with my, I just happened to be writing with people already that were working with them. And so it was a little quicker of an in because they already knew that I was, I was able to pull off what they needed. If that makes sense. I see. Yeah. That makes sense. Totally. Um, yeah. But because of that, that doesn't mean that you can't just look up, you know, go online, look up MIBE, M-I-B-E, music.com and submit music to them. They got a submission process and, um, you know, and they'll reach out to you if they're interested. So, and I then see. that, yeah. that builds that and allows you to, to go deeper into those types of things. So. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? It does. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got to interview you a little bit and this, <laughs> after all. <laughs> this has been You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry with Jordan Childs. I've been your guest, John Martin Keaton. <laughs> so, this is my guest host, Jordan Childs. Thank you so much for being on the show. Today. Um, my pleasure. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, but again, a lot of it really comes down to relationships. Some of these things you can get into and you just got to put some effort into to doing some research. Mm-hmm. You know, and that allows, that will get you a long way. Sure. Got to yeah. do research. You got to know what you're looking for and who you're trying to, trying to look for. Um, you know, look up liner notes and, or watch when you're watching the end credits on a TV show or on a film, you know, look up who the music supervisor is or the music director and, or the players or whatever, and just research yeah. those people and find out who they are and what they do. Absolutely. And, you know, those are, I have a cool story about that. Actually. I just met the guy. There's a, there's a nineties cartoon that was really, 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 uh, influential to me. And actually was part of why I wanted to get into doing music for, um, for film and TV and stuff. And, uh, the name of the cartoon is called Hey Arnold. 
Yeah. And um, the music on it is so killer. So I actually, me and my brother were watching uh, the movie they put out a couple of years ago. And the music was just as good as the actual show. So I was like, oh, it must be the same dude. So I actually found his email. My brother found his email, sent it to me. I emailed him. He happened to be in LA and we had coffee the other day. And nice. now it's like we're kind of like starting a relationship. There you and go. And just like kind of sending each other music and like stuff to check out. But I think that speaks to another thing, which is just, man, if you're proactive in this game and you, like you said, you look, you're, you're a student and it's like, man, who did that? And do they have an email that's out there? Can I email them and just start a dialogue about what they and be interested in what they have to do and not try to hit them up to see if they can do something for you, you know, mm-hmm. just leaning in like that's there's a it goes a long way you yeah. just you never know you know so um, taking yeah. somebody to coffee just to say thank you for being great at what you do and because i'm yes. a fan of who you are and of what you've done mm-hmm. you know and that's yeah. awesome but take take note audience this is what you do jordan yeah. went found an email from a guy that you loved your, his music and what he was doing mm-hmm. he's willing to take you or let you go to coffee with him and mm-hmm. you know and then things just kind of roll from there if they decide to, you know, it may, it may not happen, but if it does, then there you go. Exactly. You'd be surprised who's, uh, how accessible people can be, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, of putting those feelers out there. And, um, man, it was such a good, it was, if somebody takes the time to respond to something like that, a lot of times, um, and, and they will make time to, to have coffee with you. A lot of times they're, probably pretty decent people in my experience it's been <laughs> anyway yeah. and so um so the connection was just was was cool like it was just it was really awesome and, and i want to do more of that kind of thing and uh and again not not don't try to be opportunistic with it the only opportunity that you should look forward to is getting to know another human being that right. you like what they do and if something happens to come from that great but that shouldn't be what you're angling for um, you should just be there and 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 also learn like this is a guy who's done music for television for years mm-hmm. and and just being able to ask him questions about things in the business he was incredibly gracious about sharing so many industry secrets and um and things best practices just things i should know as a young composer um that is more that's as valuable as anything you know so um so yeah that's that's what i would i would i would definitely and that's some, there's a book called The Proximity Principle that I've been reading by this dude named Ken Coleman, who's associated with uh, Dave Ramsey, who's in your area. Yeah, um, just down the street from so, me. Right, yeah. <laughs> so um, We used to go to church yeah, together. That, <laughs> say that again? So we used to go to church together. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dave Ramsey, I'm a huge Dave Ramsey guy. Oh, so, me too. Um, yeah. So, but um, yeah, the, the book that the guy Ken Coleman wrote, Proximity Principle, honestly was kind of outlining something similar which is just if there's somebody that is doing what you want to do and you have the ability to reach out to them and, you know, say, Hey, you know, I love what you do. Can I, can I have, if you have 30 minutes of your time, I'd love to ask you three specific questions and come up with three specific questions to Mm, ask and then, and buy them a cup of coffee. And man, you just never know what can come of something like that. It seems like such a small thing to do, but man, you can, change your whole career by of course especially if you do stuff like that on a consistent basis like it's just i I guarantee you will there'll be value added to your life and your career because of decisions like that for sure yeah well hey man i know you gotta you gotta hit the road and go on a trip or something so i I don't want to keep you um long enough we need to finish up but as we close out can you give uh, a couple of bits of advice Mm-hmm. to people, whether, you know, they're 
the musician because like i said you're multiple multiple musician you know drums and keys and bass and uh vocoder and like you do these videos where where there's like six of you playing the different instruments of a song and they're just so cool and it's all you doing this and you get to watch what you're playing and they're amazing um i appreciate that man but you know what's some advice that you would give to listeners that are wanting to get into whether it be playing out as a live musician or in production and scoring and um, doing the different things that you're getting to do for a living, what would you tell somebody that's trying to get into this, some steps to do or some steps maybe not to do? Yeah. The biggest thing I can really say is decide who you want to be before you decide what you want to do. That's the thing I talk about. And I know it might sound whatever, but I truly mean that. And everything I do in the many things I do comes out of who I am. And so focus on becoming as great of a person as you can okay. and focus on your character and focus on um, living in, in harmony with the things, your values. And, and then as you start to approach what you do, allow that to just be another expression. So um, for example, one of my uh, I call them my B words because th these are things I want to be. So one of um, I have 10 of them and I'll share one right now. But one of the things that I want to be in life is disciplined. And mm -hmm. so, um, and I, and I have a statement that's kind of associated with that, which is in order for me to, to be able to do anything great in life is going to require discipline. And so whether that is playing keys or playing drums or producing or relationships or cooking or <laughs> whatever it is, this is a superpower that if I can build a level of proficiency around being disciplined, then it's going to extend and allow me to be great in a lot of different things. So, mm -hmm. um, so for me now, one, one way that in, in my, in my life that I'm practicing it as it relates to my career is I'm doing this thing called a hundred days of practice. Um, and I'm on day 82. Um, and so, but this is a very practical way that I'm exercising discipline in, as it relates to my, um, what I do as an instrumentalist. And so every day I'm practicing some instrument for at least 10 days and I've done it for 82 days straight. And because of that, I'm a better musician. And yeah. so again, I could tell you go practice or I could tell you go network and I could tell you all these wonderful things to do, which we can, we can have another podcast and talk about that if you want, but none of it really matters if you don't know who you are and you haven't invested and you don't have equity in your character. Um, that's what's going to sustain you. That's what people are going to ultimately want to hire you because of. Um, I know people here who are incredible musicians that don't work like they could because they're jerks. <laughs> so, sure. yep. um, and they didn't, invest they don't have any character equity and that kills them and so it would be an incredible waste for me to tell you to go be the most continue to grow in your talent or your skill i should say um that's a waste if you don't if you're not um very intentional about who you are and have a, a level of clarity and congruence and integrity around that so that's the most important thing i would tell anybody in any field in 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 any realm of life and for me the thing that has facilitated that is my relationship with Jesus. Like, and I, you know, I don't, I know this is not necessarily a religious podcast, but, no, but that's um, true. That's, though. Absolutely. That's for me is what following Jesus is what has made my life better and made me better yeah. at life. So yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, and I know you, that's awesome. I'm glad we could talk about that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of where it all stems from. And then the outgrowth of that is being able to do 
um, it's it's principle first thinking. It's like, man, when you have the principle of who you are, then outside it allows you to do a number of different things at a high level. And so, um, and I'm trying to grow in all those things, of course, but I believe the foundation as I focus on who I am is there and it supports me being able to explore different things and grow in different ways. So yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great answer. And I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. And um, I hope that listeners will take take notes and put all of these things into practice into their lives and their careers. And I think that will be help them be very successful um, just in life in general, you know, not yeah. just at doing music, but, you know, even though that's, that's the point of this particular show. Um, but those things that you just talked about apply to every part of life. Mm-hmm. So, yep. and let me say, man, thank you for, so much for doing this show. I mean, I think what you're trying to do is like an incredible endeavor. And I, mean, I just wish you all the success in this. This is, I wish I had this listening to, I could listen to this 10 years ago and, mm-hmm. and take the, the things that people in, on this podcast are talking about and just the, just the whole concept of this podcast, I think is so incredibly helpful. And so, um, yeah, I wish you all the best. And if there's any way I can continue to help support you as you do this going forward, man, please let me know. Cause this is, uh, this is great. This is such a good idea and it's inspiring me to come up with a podcast and do it too. That's awesome. <laughs> so, well, I, I appreciate awesome. it. I'm excited about it. And it's been, it's been really fun so far and been successful so far. And, um, man. And you've been an awesome guest. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and, and uh, information with us. And I know you'll continue to, to grow and learn and do more and great things. And I look forward to that. Where can people find you online so they can check out the music that you are doing? Sure. Kind of see, yeah. see some of the things that you've done in the past as well. Most definitely. Well, jordanchilds.com is, uh, has a decent smattering of some stuff. I need to update it, but it's still, um, give you give you a little bit of a lay and then the place i'm probably most uh, as far as social media i'm most active on instagram and facebook if you send me a friend request i'll I accept pretty much everybody unless you look like spam then i don't but <laughs> um but yeah if you send me a request or i have a page out there on facebook and then um i'm at jordan c childs on instagram so like that's probably the most up to date with everything i've done recently and definitely check it out because i think i'm gonna put out at least at least a couple I have so much music I'm writing and so many different ideas. And I'm and now as I'm seeing myself as an artist, which is something we haven't talked, we didn't, we'll have to talk about it another time. But, um, but yeah, I, I foresee myself releasing some things on streaming and stuff next in this next year. So, okay. That's um, so great. yeah, be looking out for that. And yeah, uh, yeah, I would love to connect with anybody, reach out. I'm, I usually reply as much as I can. So hit me up. Very cool. Well, buddy, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. I know you got to hit the road and go on a trip here. So thank you for, mm-hmm for uh, coming on and um, God bless you and everything that you're doing. And I know that he likewise, will bless you. Man. It's likewise, for sure. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. All right. You too. Take care, man. Thank you guys again for joining us today for my conversation with Jordan Childs. I really hope you're able to take all of the information that we talked about and that you can find ways to apply it to your career and to your life as well. And don't forget, Edenbrook Productions is here if you need consultation services via phone call, Skype, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.